Shark Tank, it's amazing. It's all about business. It's all about facing the reality of your business. It looks like you just made a sticky pad for a sticky pad. You can put it on this side of your computer or you can put it on this side. It doesn't even make any sense, but we're all, we're all riveted when we get into the Shark Tank zone because we're going to hear the truth. Are you kidding? What are you doing? What kind of business is that anyway? You know, I've had a lot of jobs and... Uh, over the years, I've been a dishwasher, I've been a truck driver, I parked cars at a country club, I was a, a nursing assistant. One of my most interesting jobs was working for Charles River Laboratories in, in Massachusetts. Charles River Laboratories just packed one million meals with Rise Against Hunger as a, as a corporation around the world. One million meals, it was the largest meal packing event in history. We're gonna do a Rise Against Hunger meal packing event here in just a few weeks, but I once worked for Charles River Laboratories in Massachusetts. I've had a lot of jobs, but it all comes down to, do you really understand your business? Do you really know what business you're in? You're all connected to business, you're doing business, you're thinking about business all the time. What's your business? Sometimes your business is just your life. Sometimes your business brings you life. Sometimes your business gives life to others or gives help and hope to others. You and your business are intertwined in many, many ways, but it's important to know your business. So today we begin Jesus according to scripture. My hope is that you really see him. My hope is that you really feel him. My hope is that you allow him to embrace you as you find yourself embracing him. Jesus, according to scripture, wants to meet you where you are, take you somewhere, and never let you be the same. Are you ready for that? Because here we go. If you go to Luke chapter 2, which is where we begin today, it all of a sudden dawned on me you go through the first 12 years of Jesus' life in Luke chapter 2. It starts out in verse 7. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. Verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Verse 21, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Verses 39 and 40, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. And then whoosh, he's 12 years old, Luke 2, 41 to 52. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. So this is a tradition. It's a family tradition. We're going to Jerusalem. We always do this. We do this together as a family, and we do this as a family of families. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Now think about a 12-year-old. A 12-year-old, I have a granddaughter who's 11, so she's in her 12th year. I know what a 12-year-old looks like. I know what a 12-year-old thinks like. Middle school, 12 years old. And when he was 12 years old, they went out to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. So Jesus just 
is doing what he wants to do. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. Why didn't they know it? Because they were part of a family of families and they just thought he's with his uncle. He's with his cousins. He's around here somewhere. We'll catch him later. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to be, to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So they're a day out from Jerusalem. They're starting to get concerned. They started to, to look around for him. Did, you, did Jesus come with you? He didn't come with us. Have you seen him? We haven't seen him. They realized he is gone. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. And you can imagine their, their hearts are just pounding. Now, so it was that after three days, after a day out, a day back, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding. The word astonished can mean marveled. It can mean dumbfounded. It can mean shocked. They were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Your father, look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. So they were like, we're in charge. We're mother and father. You're the kid. You have to do what we say. You can't just be off doing whatever you want to do. And he said to them, he's 12 years old. He said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Their heads are just spinning. Then he went down with them and, and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. The interesting thing here, and what begins to unlock the meaning of what's going on here in Luke 2, is Jesus' reply is ambiguous in the Greek New Testament. It literally reads, did you not know that I must be in or about the blank? Doesn't say anything. Blank of my father. There's nothing there. Did you not know that I must be in about the of my father? Must, the word must indicates that Jesus understands his mission. He's 12 years old, but he knows his mission is about something bigger. He knows his mission is, is from God, the father, the creator. He knows that he's doing something important. But a noun needs to be supplied in his statement to have it make sense. And there wasn't one. So throughout history, people have offered suggestions for what should go in there, what should fill in the blank. Let me give you the top three. Did you not know that I must be among those of my father's house? Number two, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Of course, that's my favorite one, and I'm going to explain to you why. And number three, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? In the Greek and Roman culture of that time, a house was not just a physical place 
that you go to eat and sleep. It was understood as a place of authority, a place of authority. I'm going to go out in left field a little bit here. Place of authority. Do you remember the scene in Moonstruck where toward the end, the family's all seated at the kitchen table and, and, and the mother challenges the father about something that he shouldn't be doing and, and the father slams his hand on the table. Bam! He stands up slowly, sort of gathering his authority around himself. And then he sits down very slowly. He realizes that he has to acquiesce to his wife. He, he realizes that what he's done hasn't been, hasn't been correct. But you see in that moment a picture of authority in a home. He's seated in a position of authority. His authority is challenged. He, he slams his hand out. He rises to, to take up his authority, but there's none there. But it was all about authority. And in the first century, they understood that too, that a house is a place of authority. Somebody has authority. Somebody speaks authoritatively. So what Jesus is saying is he is about his father's authority. He is about interpretation, his father's business, because there's a blank there, but we're still gonna, we're still gonna, we're still gonna get here. Just hang on for a second. He is about his father's business. If you do this as a, a literal uh, translation into English, it would go something like this. Not knew ye or not knew you that in the blank of the father of me, it behooves to be me. Sort of a little, little, Hard to, to get that, that flow, but that's a literal word-for-word word translation. Not knew you or not knew ye that in the blank of the father of me it behooves to be me. Well, what does he feel he's behooved to be? He's behooved. He's driven to be in the father's business, in the authority of the father. Let's set the scene. Sometimes I like to just pull back and, and look at the whole big picture and think of it in terms of contemporary life. Set the scene. They miss Jesus. They head back. There he is. He's, he's talking to the likes of Bill Gates, Abraham Lincoln, Thurgood Marshall, Mark Cuban, who you saw in Shark Tank, Billy Graham, who's got all the, the Bible knowledge, and Nick Foles, because he won the Super Bowl. And, and, he's, and he's got them on the ropes with his own questions. It's all going to be in the newspapers in the morning. It's all going to be on the Today Show. And it all really happens between verses 48 and 49. Because in verse 48, Mary says something like, What have you done to us? What have you done to us? Your father and I were freaking out because we have charge over you. You are our son. You are our child. We're in charge. You're not in charge of anything yet. You're 12. In verse 49, Jesus responds something like this. I don't get it. What's the big deal? My father has all authority over everything, and that's all the authority I need in my life. Later on, as an adult, he will put it this way. I and the father are one. But the whole thing turns, the whole thing turns on your father, my father. Your father, verse 48, your father and I were, were freaking out because we have charge of you. Verse 49, my father has all the authority. It's all in who you understand the real father to be. And we're going to hear a little bit about that even later on in, in the book of Hebrews. It's all in, in who you understand the real father to be. Because 
an earthly father is a father, but a heavenly father is a, is a bigger than life father in so many ways. And Jesus was so caught up in that. He, he was watching his father as a carpenter make things and probably he was, he was side by side with his father, Joseph, and his father, Joseph, was, was teaching him how to do things with wood. But this was the big moment of his life. He was astounding the teachers of the law. He was asking them questions. He was, he was keeping them on the ropes and he knew who his father was and he knew that he had to be in the authority of the father doing the father's business. And so how did Joseph and Mary respond? It says, they didn't understand what he was saying. It doesn't say, oh, they figured it out. Doesn't say that. It doesn't say they had a long talk about it, although that is, that is quite likely. All it says is Mary was keeping everything in her heart. Literally, it's, it's thoroughly guarding. It's, it's like keeping it in a secure place. It's like she's wrapping it all in her heart and holding it tightly. All these moments, she's, she, was, she was there when the angel told her what was going to happen. And she was there in Bethlehem. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she watched him grow up. And now he's, he's 12 years old and she has all these moments. And she's holding on to them because she's trying to figure it out. And she doesn't have it figured out yet. And as relentless as is the sun, this young man kept growing. And people wanted to talk to him about God. And he wanted to talk to them about God too. So here's the question. So what is the father's business? What is the father's business? The first part of the father's business is this. The father's business is to get us to heaven. John 640, a beautiful verse. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will, this is what God's business is, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him, and in the first century, that word believe wasn't just like, well, I believe that we're going to go here for vacation, or I believe you're going to come by the house later on today. Believe meant to put the entire weight of your life upon this one thing. All that you have, all that you are, everything that is in your mind and in your heart to put it on this one thing. You can only build your life on this one thing and that's what you're going to give yourself to. That's what you're going to believe in. My, my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and puts their entire life on him is going to build their entire life with him and through him shall have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus is on the cover of National Geographic in December. And uh, I love that picture of him. He just looks so, so thoughtful and so, and so humble. And if you go to the inside story, it says the search for the real Jesus. The search for the real Jesus. And there are all these pictures of Jesus from across the centuries and, and, and artists' renderings of him. But underneath the headline, the search for the real Jesus, in a tiny little box, it says this. Believers revere him as the son of God. Skeptics dismiss him as legend. Artists have cast him in images that reflect their own time and place. Today, archaeologists digging in the Holy Land are helping to sift fact from fiction. 
It's 2,000 years later and people are still trying to figure him out. It's 2,000 years later and some people are putting the entire weight of their lives on him and letting him do what he wants to do in their lives. And maybe you want to do that today. But there are people who still say, maybe it's all legend. Maybe it was just things, the story got twisted and turned and, and changed by, by people who didn't understand. The debate rages on. But the first business of God is to let people know his son. And by believing in the son, he gives them everlasting life. The Father's business is to teach us about faith. And it's not faith unless there's something hard to believe that depends, that your life depends on you believing it. Something really hard to believe. But you have to believe it. Your life depends upon it. Your future depends upon it. Noah had to have faith. Nehemiah had to have faith. Abraham had to have faith. Mary, of course, had to have faith. Esther, her story in the Old Testament, had to have faith. She had to have faith. Paul, the great apostle, had to have faith in what Jesus Christ was going to do in his life. The Father's business is to teach us about faith, and it's not faith unless there's something hard to believe in, and your life depends upon you believing in it, I believe sometimes that we, we take what's happening in this room for granted. We don't realize that 18 years ago, none of this was here. None of this room wasn't here. You know, I can remember walking in, in mud on this property. I can remember when, when that cinder block wall was up and that's all that it was, cinder block wall. Uh, and all these classrooms and the different things that we use for, for adult ministry and children's ministry and student ministry. None of this was here. And we, we don't think about it, but there was a, a time and a place where, where we had to believe that God was doing something and wanted to do something big. And I remember sitting in my office that was on Southern Boulevard, a few miles from here, thinking, I think God can do something big. And in the early days of the church, God used to say to me, the, the building will draw people to itself. The building will draw people to itself. We didn't have a building. We're renting the art center down on 22nd Street. And then we rented Corporate Landing Middle School. But God was wanting us to believe, all of us who, who said we are Spring Branch Community Church, he was wanting us to believe that he could do something big. He could do something bigger than we could even hope or, or think for. And God wants to teach us about faith. 18 years ago, this was a field of soybeans. And today, here we are because God taught us about faith. And here's the tricky thing. God still wants to teach us about faith, but he wants to teach us about faith in other ways, faith in ministry, faith in mission, Faith in believing how the church is going to, to move and change as we move into the future. With 25 years gone, and let's look at the next 25 years, what's God going to do that's bigger than we can dream, that's bigger than we could hope for? 
What's God going to do? We have to have faith and God wants us to, God wants to teach us about the kind of faith he needs us to have because otherwise we're just going through the motions of superficial Christianity. And, and Christianity is not just saying I'm a Christian. It's living it. It's breathing it every moment of every day. And we're going to see that as we move ahead. The Father's business is to get us to heaven. The Father's business is to teach us about faith. The Father's business, and this is one of the hardest things about the Father's business, is to allow his discipline to perfect us. To allow his discipline to perfect us. Hebrews 12. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose hearts when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son, as his daughter. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. So that's that human father thing and now he's going to transition to the heavenly father. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Our parents, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. Why? Why when it hurts? Why when it's painfully difficult? In order that we may share in his holiness. God is trying to drive us into his own heart. And so whatever it takes, however much sometimes it hurts, he's trying to drive us into his heart. One of my favorite stories is about Fiorella LaGuardia mayor of New York City. We're talking about the 1920s, I believe. And so he, Fiorella means little flower, by the way. How would you like your, your name to be little flower? Fiorella. So you know, he was, he was a, a, a big man on the inside in his, in his leadership. And it came out in, in ways that showed the wisdom that God had bestowed upon him. So every once in a while, Fiorella LaGuardia had to preside over night court in lower Manhattan and on this occasion, he was, he was being the judge over many little individual cases that were coming before him. And uh, a man was, was brought before the bench. He had stolen bread. He had stolen bread. LaGuardia said, sir, did you steal the bread? Yes, I did, Your Honor. I stole the, I stole the bread. He said, sir, why did you steal the bread? He said, Your Honor, I stole the bread to feed my family, and I am sorry. Fiorella said, well, accept your apology. I am going to have to fine you $1 because you did steal the bread, but we're actually going to do it differently. I am fining every person in this courtroom. And he looked around. I am fining every person in this courtroom 50 cents for allowing this man to live in a city where he had to steal bread to feed his family. That's discipline. That's driving people toward what's right and what's good and what's just. And discipline from God always drives us towards what's right and good and just for the benefit of the community. And it always drives us 
in order that we may share in his holiness. The Father's business is to do good things for people who need good things. Simple example of that. You just gave 197 coats to our coat drive and, and we're giving them all away to people who need coats. That's God's business. It's to look around and say, what is being needed? How can we be a part of that? How can we reach out a hand? The Father's business is to do good things for people who need good things. When you do the Rise Against Hunger meal packing event next month, it's, it's God saying, we're going to do some good things for people who need good things. We have mission trips coming up, uh, and they're all starting to, to be displayed. They're in your, your bulletin today, thinking about the summer, thinking about what you could get connected to, because God's business is to do good things for people who need good things. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 talks about that. It talks about how he's prepared good things for us to do in advance through Jesus Christ. It's a father's business to do good things for people who need good things. It's a father's business to hear and respond to the pure cries of our hearts. To hear and respond to the pure cries of our hearts. Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Father's business is to hear and respond to the pure cries of our hearts. Not things that we self-centeredly want so that we get what we want when we want it for our own purposes. But the cry of the heart that is lonely. The cry of the heart that needs hope. The cry of the heart that needs somebody to, to come alongside and, and walk with them. It's God's business to hear the cries of the heart and respond to them. It's the Father's business to, to nudge us. There was a men's breakfast yesterday morning and the gentleman who spoke, great speaker, he talked about being a Quaker. And, and I know very little about, about Quakers. I just sort of know that that. Wolfred Brimley, the guy who kind of looks like a Quaker and looks like the guy in the front of the Quaker Oats. I think that's his name, Wolfred Brimley. And, and you know, I don't really know a whole lot about Quakers except that, that they don't have to endure what you're having to endure right now, okay? They go in a room and they sit. And if anybody is a Quaker and you want to see me afterwards and straighten me out, please, I'd love to be straightened out. But they sit and they wait and, and they're quiet. And they wait, they wait for God to nudge. They wait to know what God wants to say. It's the Father's business to whisper. 
I'd encourage you to get this book and, and read it during the Easter season. It has a lot of great things to, to say. It's called Whisper, The Power of a Whisper, How to Hear the Voice of God. Mark Batterson, he writes, when I, when I look through the Bible, I see whispering spots everywhere. For Abraham, it was an oak tree. For Isaac, it was a well. For Moses, it was a burning bush. For Gideon, it was a whisper wrapped in a fleece. For Samuel, it was the tabernacle at Shiloh. For Elijah, it was Mount Carmel. For David, it was an upstairs window facing Jerusalem. For Jonah, it was the belly of a whale. He still speaks. He still heals. He still delivers. He still whispers. He still nudges. And there's nothing God wants to do more than to do it again. Are you hearing a nudge? Are you hearing a whisper? Are you feeling a nudge? It's the Father's business to nudge. It's the Father's business to whisper. That's the business he's in all the time, always has been, always will be. I think of the, the defining moments, some of the defining moments of my life and how they all came through a nudge or a whisper. It is the Father's business to build a community of people to represent his agenda in the world with integrity and compassion and sacrifice. Paul saw God's business this way as he wrote to an early church. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others, of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So it starts out, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus in your relationships with one another. How do you do that? God, I don't think I can do that. God, I, I sometimes get angry. God, I sometimes get, get upset. I get, I get anxious. I get tired. I get, I get worn out. And God says, yeah, it's, it's not possible if you try to do it. it. It won't work. It's not possible at all. Because that's not the way I designed it. I designed it so that my son does that work in you. That's what I do. I do that in you. He's the vine. You're the branches. And you have to stay connected because you don't have it on your own strength. You don't. It only comes on, on my strength. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' name pronounced at the end of the Super Bowl by the coach 
of the eagles. I wanted to thank his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And here it comes, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's God who is doing his work in you. That's his business. His business is to transform you on the inside. His business is to, to change you. You can't do it. But he can do it if you want him to do it. It's his business. God works in you. Marianne Bird was born in Brooklyn, New York in August of 1928. A severe cleft palate required 17 surgeries, but the psychological pain it caused was far worse. Marianne couldn't do the simple things, simple things like a, a kid does, such as blowing up a balloon or drinking from a water fountain. Worst, worst of all, her classmates teased her mercilessly. Marianne was also deaf in one ear, so the day of the annual hearing test was her least favorite, but it was one of those least favorite days that turned into the defining day of her life. The whisper test isn't done in schools any longer, so let me explain what it entailed. A teacher would call each child to her desk and ask him, to cover, ask him or her to cover one ear. Then the teacher would whisper something like, the sky is blue, or you have new shoes. If the student repeated the phrase successfully, he or she passed the test. To avoid the humiliation of failing the test, Marianne would try to cheat by cupping her hand around her good ear so she could still hear what the teacher said. But she didn't need to the year she had Miss Leonard, the most beloved teacher in her school. I waited for those words, said Marianne, which God must have put into her mouth, those seven words which changed my life. Miss Leonard didn't choose a random phrase. Instead, she leaned across the desk, got as close as she could to Mary Ann's good ear and whispered, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little girl. The Heavenly Father is whispering those very same words to you right now. They changed Mary Ann, Mary Ann's life forever. They can change your life and my life forever too. I want you to be my child. I want you to be my son. It's my business to, to live with you and work in you and to develop you and to discipline you and to nudge you and to help you understand I can only do a certain thing in the world if you will do it for me and with me. And God's been whispering those words since before you were born. Are you ready to be changed by him? See him. Listen to him. Embrace him. Jesus, according to scripture, wants to meet you. 
and never let you be the same. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? So let me ask you this question one final time. What's your business? What's your business? Our business is the Father's business. His business is us. Jesus knew that. That's why he said, didn't you know that I must be about the Father's business? That's Jesus according to Scripture. Dear Heavenly Father, allow us to to be captured by Jesus, the Jesus we we read about in Scripture, his words, his, his, his moving in and through the people, his teaching of his disciples, his telling of stories that had epic implications for our lives and our futures. Oh, Father, let us hear you whisper across the, the decades of our lives. I want you to be mine. Father, embrace us now as we move toward Easter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.